Welcome to Chinuch 2.0, a show about the massive changes happening to how we do Chinuch, some of which may never be the same again. biggest crises that our yeshivas and girls' schools are facing is the shortage of teachers, which every year it gets worse and worse. There simply aren't enough people who are willing to dedicate themselves to teach in our schools, and it's having a very serious effect on the quality of our children's education. We've had episodes about this previously. Uh, discussing the causes of this problem and the possible solutions. But quite frankly, this is a huge problem, and we have to deal with it. On this show, I interviewed Mrs. Naima Tenenbaum. She is an edu- educational consultant from Baltimore who runs a company called Institution to Inspiration. And she shares with us her ideas on how schools need to change the entire mindset of how they operate. So that instead of just putting out fires all the time and dealing with crises as they crap up, they work, from the, they work on changing the whole foundation and attitude of the school so that it turns into an institution of excellence. With proper planning and structures in place, schools can become a place of educational excellence, a place where teachers are happy to teach, children are happy to learn, and the teachers are, are, are more than happy to stay in their jobs, and even come and join the ranks of teachers. So we had a long and far-reaching discussion. She shares her ideas, and I encourage all of you to sign up for her weekly emails, which you can get by going to institutions2inspiration at gmail.com. The link is in the show notes, and I encourage you to listen to this episode and subscribe to her weekly emails. Let's go to our interview with Mrs. Naima Tenenbaum. Welcome, Mrs. Tenenbaum, to Chinuch 2.0. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, so we've discussed this earlier on, on, on a different episode, and this is a problem that keeps on coming up, is that a lot of schools are facing a, a, a difficulty hiring teachers. There's not enough teachers out there who, who are willing to work, and uh, it's very difficult for the schools to find qualified teachers uh, who are willing to do a good job, teach our children. And uh, this is a problem that's not going away anytime soon. And uh, it's a very, very acute problem. And I'm sure next year's school year is going to be really difficult for many, many schools. And, and uh, it's, already tr- it's already difficult now. And I, I imagine next year is going to be even harder. Absolutely. So, right. Okay. So I know that you've spent a lot of, you put a lot of effort into dealing with this uh, crisis. And you do have some ideas that, uh, that, that, that our audience would love to hear. So uh, what do you have to say about this issue? Yeah. So the first thing that I have to say is that this crisis has reached epic proportions. I don't know of a single school that isn't affected by any sort of teacher shortage. Um, It's something that everyone is struggling with. And COVID didn't make it any easier, of course. Um, We have a lot of different solutions and ideas, and people have, have a lot of responses 
to the teacher shortage. And I just want to go through a few of them so you can understand where I'm coming from. Okay. There's, so just, just yeah. to say, just to like, to, to, to could you just show, uh, give some examples of like schools that are actually struggling that you're aware of? Like, you know, how, how acute is this problem? Okay. Yeah. And with the examples I'm going to give you, each of them is at least five schools. Um, I can think of a couple of schools that don't have teachers for multiple classes. I have principals who are full-time teaching because they're forced to. I have, there are schools that are offering their teachers money that they can't afford to pay because those are the only teachers they have. Oh, and these aren't really good teachers. It's just Mm -hmm. the schools are desperate. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I know of schools that have hired people that have no experience, but even more than no experience come from a very come from very um, not education oriented jobs. They basically have no experience and schools are in an extremely desperate place. Mm-hmm. I know schools that have teachers that they are just, they need to get rid of because these particular teachers are just not a good fit for the school, but they can't. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I just anecdotally, I could just add in uh, from, from my own experience, my, my, my daughters are in high school and they're being taught a few, a few of their periods are being taught by girls who are about two years older than them. Exactly. That, that's, that's, that's their teachers. They're straight out of seminary, zero experience. And uh, they're, 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 it's, it's, a number of their periods are being taught by those. By that, and that we're age. lucky that in girls' schools, you could do that. You can't have that in boys' schools. Right. Correct. That's even worse for boys' schools. Right. Much worse. Okay. And I assume the problem, this is a problem, just, you know, it's, there's very few people that want to be teachers, but maybe you could shed some more, some more background on that. Yeah. So I actually, I I've taught in WITS, which is an undergraduate from college here. There's interest, there's interest in teaching. I have students who are looking forward to their first year of teaching. And when I was talking to them, I said, what are you scared of? What do you think be the hardest part. And they're all like classroom management. So I went through classroom management and that was the focus of EDU 101. Um, We can focus on the theories later. We can focus on everything later. If you have classroom management, you have a classroom. If you don't, you have nothing. So that's really, really been, you know, the first thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so if there is interest in teacher and in teaching and there are people who want to teach, so why are our schools having such a hard time hiring? Well, what happens when someone's hired? I'll give you an an example of one of my students. Um, She got a job at one of the local schools as a teacher assistant while she was in college. Well, you know, she was in this seminary slash college. As a teacher assistant, she helped out in the classroom and she was given a lunch period by herself. And what happened there was horrendous. It was um, elementary girls, and they did a lot of things to make her life very, very, very difficult during those 45 minutes, you know, 50 minutes or, or whatever. So much so that she came up to me one day after class and said, I have to quit. But I can't quit. I didn't even start yet. <laughs> and I, I went through the problem with her, and I said, does the principal know about this? 
And she said, no. I said, why is no one talking with you? And she's like, I don't know. They just, you know, put me in the classroom. They, they, they just, you know, and, and they asked you, by the way, can you do this lunch duty? And I was like, okay. And I said, you, what you need to do, it, it was so bad. She didn't want to go back the next day. I said, what you need to do is call the principal or go in the next day and say, I cannot do this job until I'm given help. And it's very hard for a seminary girl, post-seminary girl to, to be that assertive. But she did and took a lot of courage. And the principal came running. And he spent the next couple of days modeling for her how to help those girls, which is great. But why would you wait until your teacher is ready to leave? Why would you gamble on the fact that she's going to have enough courage to tell you that she needs help? We need our teachers to be safe in our schools from the first year. Why is it so easy? So I mean, you ask any teacher, how was your first year? Oh, it was miserable. Why? Why does that first year have to be that miserable? Is it a mitzvah? I don't think so. I know some people who had great first years and it didn't happen by accident. It happened because there was a system in place. There was support in place. And that support is a very specific support. So, okay, so getting back to our question, why are teachers afraid to work in schools, in our schools? What is it? Are they afraid of that first year that that's going to be very difficult? What exactly are they? What's holding them back from considering becoming a teacher? So before teachers go in the classroom, I find the biggest thing that they're scared of is classroom management. Um, when you say you're a teacher and the first comment you hear from everyone is, oh, you're so brave that there's a problem. And for teachers who are in the profession, there's, there's so much politics that go on with the administration. And there's some sort of saying that I saw about um, employees don't leave work because of the work, they leave because of the leaders. And I have seen again and again and again and again teachers leaving because of this. How many of our teachers are leaving because they're retiring? Very few. How many of our teachers are leaving because they were not supported, because they can't cope in the classroom anymore, because they have families and they need to have a life? If we make our teaching jobs that unsustainable, we're not going to have teachers for more than a year, two years, three years. I mean, think think about uh, maternity leave. I, I can say this from personal experience. When you're on maternity leave, it's you're, you're still preparing. You're still, you know, giving in lessons. And um, most Schools, I would say all, but I don't know all. Any school I've heard of does not pay teachers for maternity leave. Well, if you want your teachers to stay, I mean, that, that's just one idea that I had. But that's one of many different, because we need to look at the status quo and say, wait, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? And does this serve us best? In our Beis Yaakovs, in our Chadarim, how, what are our teachers' needs? And how can we help them? and especially for boys in general studies, because that is an area that needs a lot of support. 
Okay, so yeah, so let's 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 focus on that for a minute. Where would you say is the biggest problem? Like, where where is the biggest shortage that's that's hitting us? And in, in which which type of school and which positions do you see that 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 the problems really hitting home? The absolute worst of the worst are boys chadarim. Absolute worst, because think about it: they're offering very low salaries for not a lot of money sorry, very low salaries for not a lot of hours, but they need someone with their head on straight, who's able to make relationships with kids, who's able to craft lesson plans, who's able to teach and understand the whole art of explaining things and teaching. You're not going to get that. And I know that so many people have been saying, we need to pay the teachers more. We need to pay the teachers more. But where's that coming from? Does that mean you need to basically move your debt from the teacher shortage to the tuition crisis? We can't just, you know, basically be bouncing from one credit card to the next. It's not going to help to just charge our parents more. It's not sustainable. Right. Right. Okay. So, so if that's the case, so then really what you said before regarding the, 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 the leadership and the, the lack of leadership or the lack of, of, of the principals and the administration paying attention to the needs of the teachers, this is more a financial issue. And we had, we had on our, uh, on our other show, um, Mrs. Alexandra Fletcher, she spoke about this exact problem. She's, she's a writer and she was, she was writing about this issue in, uh, in many magazines. And she, you know, she pointed out that Tara was saying it's basically come down between it's a tug of war between teaching and Amazon and Amazon's winning. (laughs) Amazon has more money. (laughs) So, and right, like you just said, running it from home, pay tuitions. The teachers have to pay tuitions themselves, which is not cheap. It's just getting more and more expensive every year. Yeah, you know they need to be able to afford that, and the and the salaries are just they're just the, the schools are not able to afford to pay their teachers enough to incentivize. I mean, if them. schools were able to afford that, don't you think that would have happened like thirty years ago? Right, right. So obviously, it is a financial issue, and it is a a a, a, a salary issue. Like the, the teachers are obviously not being paid enough to make it worthwhile, worth their effort, especially when there's thousands of other jobs competing with them that are paying much more. Absolutely. And what we have to do right now is look to where is teaching, where can we give the most value? Right now, it's not money. When you speak to a teacher, there are teachers who are teachers for decades. Why are they teachers for decades? Because they love it, because there's no job like it. They're so fulfilled. So they're basically giving you the answer there. If we have a teacher who can feel successful, who can be fulfilled in the classroom, She's not going to want to become an Amazon associate because the meaning of a job where she's changing the world and she's successful at it compared to where she's working for Amazon, there's no competition there. So we just need to get our teachers to a place where they're passionate. Oh, and by the way, as a parent, just think about this. If your kids' teachers were all super passionate so supported in their job and they spent every day just waiting to go to school. Isn't that every parent's dream? And of course, administrators want that too. Of course. I mean, that makes their job easier. 
Right. Okay. But but then let's look at the other, on the flip side. If I'm a parent of a of a girl who's coming home from seminary, all idealistic and starry eyed, and I know she's going to get married soon, hopefully, and marry a boy and uh, raise him from family. Hopefully, the, the 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 husband will learn a few years, and she's going to need some money to support the first few years, and and then you know even then they're going to have a few kids, and they need to pay tuitions. And I'm thinking, what should I convince my daughter to go into? Should I have her go into teaching? Will she make? Will she'll make twenty five, thirty thousand dollars a year, or maybe she should just go down the block. Any office in in in, in any major from city is offering starting salaries at forty five, fifty thousand dollars for zero experience, just to come sit behind the desk and answer phones and 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 do some computer work. Me as a parent, I think I'm going to choose the office work. Don't you think? Right, right, definitely, definitely. That's that's a very, very good point. And here's something I've noticed that as my job as an educational consultant and as a curriculum writer, I have tons of teachers coming up to me saying, oh, my goodness, you're you're working in education, but you're not teaching. Like, can you help me? Like, how do you do that? And it's amazing because it's the completely hidden part of education. But there's a whole world out there for educators who are highly qualified, who are overqualified for teaching, and that's where they go. And right. yes, you can make good money in education. You just have to know where to go. Right. I mean, I'll just give you one example. I know of an ed tech company that pays $10,000 for a curriculum to be written for one of their grades in one subject. Right. <clears throat> Think about that. It, it, it can be done. There are ways to do it. Um, and that's just the lower end, 10,000. It, it right. can get much, much, much higher than that. Right. No, absolutely. Okay. So then you you are in agreement that right now our, our biggest issue is basically it's very hard to win over people to the teaching profession when the salaries just won't match what's, what's going on in other sectors. Right. Right. Okay. It, it really is. And, and um, you know, I was teaching for a number of years. And my husband always joked that he supports his wife in Clay Kodesh. Right. <laughs> like, it's true. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's, there's, there is a trade off. I would not say that our girls aren't idealistic. They're so idealistic. They're so idealistic that they want to get these high paying professions so that they could support their husbands in Colo. Right. But there is also, this downside of they're not going to be able to be teachers Correct. if they can't sustain. It's it's a very hard balance. Okay, so we, we definitely are aware of the problem. The problem is very is very uh, uh, obvious. It's very acute. It's happening all over, n- not just out of town. It's happening Everywhere. in major Everywhere. metropolitan areas. So where do we go from here? Great question. So when we have a problem of this proportion of this, this great, we need to take a step back at the foundation and look at the status quo and say, why do we do what we're doing? And is it working? And there are parts of what we're doing that are working. I would say the idea of a school system is an amazing invention. I think that if we still had the, the ladies all, you know, the, the girls all working at home and the, the boys out in the fields, that wouldn't be a good alternative. I think that school is great, but there are parts of school that aren't so great. 
And that has to do more with the fact that we're reacting to things than proactively looking at how we can do things in the best possible way. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and you mentioned you mentioned to me earlier that uh, that this is something you're working on as a doctoral yes. thesis. Okay. Yeah. So so go into this. Go go into this a little more. The, the yeah. Share, so so this is actually details. so my my um, doctorate is going to be in educational leadership. And my doctoral thesis, what I'm front and center is the teacher shortage. And here's the gist of it. You have to go to the foundation. And where, what, what do you go to first? You have to go to the crisis. What's the crisis? If I go into a school and I observe, I will find that either there are many classes that are struggling. And when there's a class that's struggling, that's a teacher who is in danger of leaving. So you have classes with behavior management. And like I said before, if you have classroom management, you have a classroom. If you have no classroom management, you don't have anything. So the very first thing that needs to be done before any other work is classroom management. And I developed a course um, in classroom management that is different from all other courses because not only is it research-based, based on best practices, and it's provable by data, you see how you're doing it. It, it, it is just so obvious, the, the, you, know, you, you can see the improvements that come from that. But it's also, what I specifically did is I made it compatible with our Torah-based environment. For example, in the public schools where you have all of these systems, their biggest problems are students who, who, you know, whose parents are in jail and, and, and they're on drugs and like all these things. But that's not the main issue in our schools. The main issues, which you'll deal with in basically every class, ADHD, anxiety, depression, emotional stuff. It's just a totally different system. And we need to have a response specifically tailored for our students. So what I did was I took that and I took the, the frameworks that they have that are solid. And I put in different ideas and different things that our students respond well to. And I have this one idea I want to share, which is an amazing idea. This was actually my husband's idea. Um, one of my first years of teaching, I had a I, I had in my teacher's bag some um, office referrals. And it said, you know, name, and it said, and you could check off a list of all, you know, bad things, which, which bad thing, you know, the, the student did. And then I had a place for a comment and he saw this and he's like, if you're going to have a note like this, you need to have something the opposite of that. Positive. So, right. So I, I said, that's a great idea. He said, put it in the same font, the same, everything, just it's positive. And I call it the positive behavior note. And it's really, it was so successful. What I did was I, you know, go into the classroom and specifically aimed at, and I, I taught boys for the most part. Um, I taught fourth, fourth grade. So I would go over to a boy who was specifically, I knew was struggling and saw them doing something well. And I would write out this note that looked exactly like an office referral with a very serious face, say, go to the principal, hand them the note. They would take a look at the note and see it was the good note. And they'll just break out in a smile, run to the principal. The principal had, you know, what like told, gave them positive attention. 
I've had parents of these students, these really difficult students come back to me saying their sons hung this note up on the fridge, hung it up over really? their beds, came home dancing. I, I mean, like really. And when we can tap into the incredible relationship that we have, that we can have with our students, you don't need all the other stuff, the extrinsic stuff, which doesn't really work. But that's just a little sneak peek. Right. Okay. Um, okay. So, so yeah. So, so, and what great, and what age does this work with? So uh, I have one for one through six and one plan for seven through 12. Okay. <laughs> Obviously it's a different, yes. a different incentive for the older kids, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so how does this, is, this is classroom management. How does this fit into the big picture of what we're discussing? Now? Okay. So you have five stages of development getting a school from crisis to a place where they are excelling and really, really sure-footed. The first is the fireman stage where they're just running around, you know, extinguishing fire. That's that's the the classroom management crisis. That's the first thing. Once we figure out classroom management, you've moved from the first stage of being a fireman to being a manager. Now a manager has things running, might not be running perfectly, but you're managing, you're running things, they're going. And what that means is that you're able to attract teachers, you're able to retain teachers, your teachers who are struggling are not struggling anymore. You have the mentors in there, you have the the curriculum in there that they need. And that's a whole separate topic. Um, And definitely check out Rabbi Mordechai Weissman's um, curriculum on the Mahon. I'm actually doing his middle school uh, the 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 middle school curriculum. Oh wow! And I just yeah, we're he, just he started out. with the high schools, right? Yeah, so yeah we had yeah. we had him on 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 a, on a, on a show here. You yeah, can look up that episode. Definitely check it out. Torah based curriculum. It's super cool. It's like okay, well that's that's um for a you know just go go listen to that podcast. But being a manager is having something that works really really well for your teachers. Thinking about what there are a couple different ways that you could think about this. One is raises. Raises are inevitable. They come, right? Well, why don't you make a little bit of a return on investment by giving raises for teachers who are doing specific things that that call for that? Um, the result, you know, the result not, you're talking about like results based results rewards? Based. Okay. Exactly. So, so, so certain. A certain level of of uh, of behavior cooperate positive behavior cooperation from the I guess classroom. you can say that it's it's a little different with adults, but yes, and and I also go through ways to make sure that that doesn't create strife from you know teachers. Why didn't they pick me? And it, it's it's a whole it's leadership is an art. Leading adults is very 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 different and a lot more complicated than leading kids in in many ways. Um, So giving praise, praise is also another completely underutilized tool, sending, giving teachers a bonus for, for Sukkis with a note that says, thank you for all you do from the administration. That's been, you know, copy pasted for everyone doesn't mean as much as a note specifically from, from the administrator and be even better if it said something great that the teacher's doing. I mean, teachers can run on this praise for, for days, for weeks. 
<clears throat> Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, and there, there are also ways of formally recognizing teachers. Recognition is another way that doesn't have to necessarily be bound to money because a lot of our schools don't have that money. Right. But let's say having, I, I saw a school that has a uh, reserved parking spot for the teacher of the month. Right. And even a teacher who's like, you know, a little bit like that doesn't want the spotlight. I mean, it's nice to be right next to the school, right? I mean, it. there are things that we can do. So many intrinsic things that really go to the root of making people happy and making people want to stay. Okay. So that's okay, the manager so, stage. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you're going through the stages of how a school goes from crisis mode to where it excels. Right. Okay. So you've gotten out, out of that fireman stage. You've gotten through that manager stage where you're managing. Your teachers are happy. Now you can look at more of the big picture of, is this working well? So define your mission. Define your goals. So let's say a school has a goal that we have 200 office discipline referrals a month. Let's get down to, to 150. Then let's get down to 100. You know, there's that. Um, there's innovating with having truly open communication with the leaders. Now, a lot of principals say, I, you know, my, I have an open door policy. My door's always open. Well, it's nice that your door's always open, but do teachers know that they can come in? Hmm. A lot of the time, teachers won't come in of their own initiative. You have to go out and get them. You have right. to show them that you're approachable by approaching them. Right. Um, and there are different ways to get feedback from teachers and to see if they're really happy with what's happening. Um, okay, so this is the second stage or third stage that you're discussing? This is the third stage. This is the innovator stage. Okay. Um, and you're just taking things to a higher level. So a lot of teachers, there's the classroom management, which is where you lose a lot of the first year teachers. Then there's the strife between administration and teachers, which is where teachers who are very experienced can be lost. The veteran teachers. Very, yes. And the, that, those are very, very, very big losses because those teachers generally are very um, valuable. And it happens because there isn't enough open communication. So one example of something that I give over is something called 360 degree feedback. Now it's called 360 degrees because it helps you see all the way around 360 degrees. And what it is, is a principal has anonymous feedback forms and they're given to all the staff. And the staff can say what they like, what they don't like without fear of a repercussion of being considered a rabble rouser, of being someone who's trying to make trouble. But really, I mean, Nurses, when think about it in, in a hospital, nurses have some really, really great advice yes. and sometimes life-saving advice to tell doctors. It would be such a shame if there was no way for the nurses to tell the doctors the same thing here. Okay. So, sure. yeah. So, so once you see, and, and how that helps is all this can be quantified. You know, I have a 70% approval rating. Now I have an 80% approval rating, whatever it is. But this can help principals to really, really see that they do have truly open communication. Okay. And what happens to the school at that stage? What happens at to the overall stage. morale and, the, the, and, and just the quality of the teaching, the quality of the experience of the school at that stage? 
not only does the principal think morale is high, but the morale is high. Um, it's, it's provably high. And when you have, when you've innovated great ways to onboard teachers, when you've innovated great ways to give ongoing support, to provide input, to give teachers follow-up, to make sure systematically that teachers are getting that dose of passion that they so badly need, then you have something really strong going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's there's one more specific area of this innovation stage. When I say the word professional development, every teacher moans mm-hmm. because everyone knows that professional development is this mandatory sentence where you have to do your time, roll your eyes, and just get out of there. But if the professional development is relevant, if it's personalized, if this is something that teachers want and we have their buy-in, then professional development is an extremely powerful tool. So innovating ways to give teachers professional development in that really powerful way. And I'll, I'll give an example of how I do it. So when I do professional development for leadership, for classroom management, I first speak with the teachers, first the, first the administrators, and then before the presentation with the teachers, I speak with each of the teachers, find out what they want to hear, what they, they're giving me their time. What would they like from that? Um, then we have the actual meeting. And then I speak with them afterwards to find out how are you going to, uh, <clears throat> sorry, how are you going to implement this in your classroom? Mm-hmm. Okay. And they can throw away what they don't like. They can keep what they do. Mm-hmm. And, that, and how does that help the actual That helps me topic? to know what works. So, <laughs> if so if I see every teacher is throwing out a suggestion of mine, I'm not going to continue telling everyone right. to use that, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So so now you explained all the, the ways that, 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 that a school can operate in a different frame of mind, a different way of, of operating, especially from the top down, that will contribute mm-hmm. to an, a healthier morale, a, a, an improved experience for teachers mm-hmm. in the school. So how does this impact on the on the shortage that our schools are having? That's a great question. It's a two-point answer. And the two-point answer are the fourth and the fifth level of this leadership, um, this leadership paradigm. So the accomplisher phase comes after the innovator. Not only have you innovated ways to help, but you see you are. You are not getting as many parent complaints. Your the overall student grades are going up. They're, the office discipline referrals are going down. Your leadership evaluations are coming back with high marks. That's the way you know that you're an accomplisher. Um, by, by really seeing, you know, I, I've heard some principals, you know, in, in general say, I care so much about the students. I mean, it's, it's, it's a general refrain. But I think you care so much about the students, you should care so much about the teachers and delegate them to care about the students. Because if you care about your teacher, you can be sure that that teacher will go to the ends of the earth for their students. You don't need to worry about that. Okay. So that's a little bit of the accomplisher Mm -hmm. um, stage. Then this, how this really directly impacts us financially, especially is the visionary stage, the top stage. There are three parts of this visionary stage. The first one is the culture, the culture of the school. Do people work well together? Really getting to the bottom and making sure that there aren't politics or dealing with any politics that there are. Um, 
culture can be eroded in schools in almost invisible ways. And it really needs to be monitored because it can be lethal if it's not something that is addressed. And how do you, and how do you monitor culture, especially when the person monitoring the culture may be the source of the problem in the first place? That's awesome question. Hmm. So besides for the, the anonymous, you know, um, 360 evaluation, when you know as a leader, when you've gone out to show your teachers that you're open, that you're approachable, they will approach you with problems. I'm having a problem with this teacher. I'm having a problem with that teacher. They know they're not going to be judged. So that's something that will happen organically as a result of all these best practices that you've already put into place. Mm-hmm. The teachers know they're not going to be fired or not going to be judged for you know coming to you with, with a problem. What makes a good boss different from a toxic one is with the toxic one, you can't say what's on your mind. You need to watch what you say. And you definitely need to watch what you say with a good boss, but you're not scared that if you say something wrong, they'll say off with your head. They'll say, wow, that's a great point. How can we incorporate that? They'll take that as constructive feedback. So if you get to a place where your teachers aren't scared of, you know, aren't scared of the leader, then that's how you have the culture. Um, The second part of this visionary is this visionary step is the transition step. No one lives forever. School's going to transition. And we want our school to not just have one golden era. We want our school to be set up for success. And when I hear new principals say about the older principal that they took over for, I can never fill his or her shoes. I think if you can't fill their shoes, what are you doing in the position? So it, the, there have to be systems that help the next leader to come in. Things won't fall apart. They'll keep on going. And now the third part of that is where it really comes in financially. And this is, honestly, it's more my husband's expertise than mine because he's a, an, an accountant and he's a financial whiz. But endowments, endowments are investing in our future. And I know that you have some podcasts about it. I know of a um, CPA in Baltimore here, who is actually spearheading an amazing endowment fund for the Baltimore schools. When we're only looking at now, when we're only trying to take care of the urgent things, we can't take care of the important things. And the truth is that the teacher shortage, paying our teachers so little money, that's not going to change overnight. And that can't. And that might not change in five years. And it might not even be able to change in 10 years. But if we have endowments, that's something that eventually can happen. There are schools, there are private schools in the United States that are fully funded by endowments and they're free. And you know something else really cool? My husband did this calculation. We, we were looking into retirement for ourselves, I think, that, that was what, where this conversation came up. And then we we're talking about endowments for schools. And he had mentioned there, there was a school that celebrated their 100, 100th year anniversary. And he made the calculation that if the school would have put aside the equivalent of one teacher's salary for 100 years, that school would have billions of dollars in endowment fund, and they would have millions every single year, and they wouldn't need any money from anywhere. The problem is, who's thinking of in 100 years from now? 
Well, if we want to really take care of this problem, it's a big problem that needs a big solution, a comprehensive solution. Right. Okay. So how does this, uh, this discussion of endowments and, and the financial part fit into the, to what you were discussing earlier in terms of improving the, the whole teacher principal relationship aspect of the school? Well, the whole, my whole entire system of going from a fireman to a manager, innovator, accomplisher, visionary, that's all shifting from the urgent to the important. And as schools, like I was saying in the beginning, a lot of times we're just in the reactionary phase where we're just reacting to problems and, oh, we have to have general studies. Okay, so let's try to get books and, you know, blot things out and whatever. That's a reaction. That's not someone taking a look at how can we teach our students the best. Um, so really, when we think of an endowment, that's something where we're thinking long term. That's like, you know, when when a couple is doing financial, um, you know, they're, they're doing financial planning and they're thinking about a retirement. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's thinking long term. So, so the, the same way that you could be a school should be thinking long term with regards to the operation of the school in terms of how the, the, the children are behaving, in terms of how the teachers are performing, the yeah. same way the school should be thinking long-term in terms of the financial stability and the ability to, to be able to be competitive when it comes to paying teacher salaries. Yeah, and, and another point is that this particular aspect of endowments is extremely important for directors of schools to hear. I was speaking with a, a principal of actually a more well-to-do school, um, and she and 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 I asked and we we got into this conversation and I asked her, well, how about endowments? And she says, I can't convince my board. They 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 want to take care of now. Right. But if if we aren't thinking about tomorrow, then we're going to have this problem tomorrow. Right. Right. Okay. No, that's true. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, and, and with, the, with the proper endowments and assuming the school, like you said, has a, a little bit of financial wiggle room, mm-hmm. will a school really be able to change the dynamic in terms of attracting young quality teachers to join the ranks of teachers and, 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 and give up whatever lucrative career opportunities that there are outside the classroom and, and, and go and dedicate themselves to classroom? Do you feel that, that, that there is that drive, that, 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 that um, passion. So that will happen. Yeah, I absolutely do. Because in the same way that if I present you with the financial ratio of the money that you put in, in a retirement and how much you get out of it in 50, 60 years, it seems too good to be true. But why is it not too good to be true? Because it's something over a long period of time and it's not easy. It's not get rich quick. It's get rich slow and hard. And when we're in the place in 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, where we have these endowments in place, we can turn around and say, let's pay our teachers 120K, 220K, whatever it is. But the good thing about all the rest of the stuff that I spoke about before, here's a clincher. If you have a great work environment, then the money really does become secondary because you can say that the reason why teachers would want to come to your school is because of the environment. And at the end of the day, no one really goes to work and stays at work just for the money. It needs to be a good place to work. 
Right. So, but you feel that that that, that there's Definitely enough. That, that, yeah, that there's but that there's enough idealism amongst the young people who oh, are yeah. are standing at the crossroads. Yes, that this is, this is assuming true. assuming they're able to make it, they would want to become teachers. Yeah, I, I find a lot of especially younger um, people have really get this, really, really, really see that this is something that this is the way. Um, you know, that also older people, definitely a thousand percent. But right. you know, but yeah, but we need we need to replace them. <laughs> we need <laughs> yeah. we need replacements coming in because uh, people don't live forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, now getting back to our to the beginning of the discussion, which was our boys' schools, the boys' chadarim, and the, yeah. the 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 general studies part of that portion of that. I mean, that's never going to be a priority of a boys' school ever, and in, in, in most chadarim, because you know they, 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 it's always going to be considered the the the. the secondary to what their Wait primary goal of, 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 of teaching Torah, right? No, 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 actually not. Really not. Here's why. That's when we see general studies as a bidyeved, when we see it as secular studies. This is not secular studies. This is social, emotional, life skills. It has nothing to do with secular studies. I'll give you an example. So I, I mentioned before that I work for the Mahon. So I have our sixth grade curriculum is Ikre Emuna. So we have the All for the Boss Young Readers Edition. And the, and, and the kids go through with, obviously, you know, the state standards and the higher order thinking skills and all the things that you're going to get in non, you know, non-Jewish textbooks. But it's all kosher. I mean, and, and this is, I have my degree, my master's in curriculum and instruction. I really, really studied this. And this is something that's very, very important to me. Um, you know, another example of something else that we're doing is they're writing a persuasive essay on the truth of Torah, because for some reason, Hashkafa is left out of the yeshiva. And that's something not, not left out completely, but it's not something that's as much of a focus as it could be. Another example is um, I'm going to be creating the seventh and eighth grade curriculums, which are based on the six constant mitzvot and the six, um, the six zephyrus. So the thing is, if you're in a general studies class and you're learning about the six constant mitzvahs, there's no Bittal Torah there. Right. Okay. You're also learning life skills that you're going to take with you everywhere. Right. Another example is public speaking. You're going to learn how to give it to our Torah, all these things. So if we view general studies as a waste of time, as something that's not important, something that will never be important, then we're totally missing the boat. Okay. And what about math, science, grammar? So math. So history. So, yeah. Great, great, great question. And all these things I've really, really thought about. So here's what um, Rabbi Robinson is the principal of Kesser Torah. And I'm not biased or anything, but my brother's about to graduate from there. And he, I'll, I'll, it's absolutely incredible what he's done. All the videos for the Mahon. Um, have been done by my brother Shlomo. And he's coming out and, and 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 it's not it didn't take much time from his learning. He's a very, 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 you know, uh, strong learner. He's a great learner, but on the side, he did this videoing. And I had a conversation with him recently. Sorry, Shlomo, I didn't ask you that I could say this, but he said that it's great. I could, I could be you know, in Kolel, and I have a Parnassa now. I know videography. He really does. He produces amazing 
stuff in a kosher environment, in a kosher way. And this isn't an alternative yeshiva. This is a very, very, very mainstream yeshiva, completely mainstream, but it's actually addressing the real problems. And if we just have yesh, when the, the biggest thing, when I talk to people about change, it's not that they say, oh, that's a bad idea. They say, oh, it can never work. But how is that ever going to happen? But why is that never going to happen? If that's the best answer, it will. Okay. Okay. And, and just to, just explain, how do those videos work? Are, the, are, the, are students watching those videos instead of teachers? Like, how does that, how does that instruction happen? No, no. So it's, it, it's not that, that's not something that's happening in class. It's not with, with videos, but that's, it's a computer program that my brother's able to make the videos with all the special effects and he doesn't need anything that's questionable to do it. It's completely, right. completely kosher. Um, so they you know everything they do is completely, completely like Mahadrin Min Hamadrin. It, right, it's right. not, it's it's not a workaround. It is a lichat chila. Right. Okay. And and given that, given this this uh, this curriculum that you're developing, mm-hmm. is that something that you see as Limude Kodesh Rabbeim doing that and, and and making it a full day? Exactly. Exactly. That's the only way we can have good general studies. We can't have cab drivers. We can't have ex-prison wards doing our limudechol. We need them to be our rebellion, who anyway have all the classroom management skills, who anyway have the Torah background. And I'm just giving them the all of the technical skills to be able to teach writing and, and right. everything, literally has everything. And, and it, would, it would just involve, so all that's involved is, is giving raising their salaries to cover their, to compensate them for the additional teaching time that they're taking on. Right. And think about it. If you have a Rebbe who's making 80K and you can raise that to 100K by giving him this position, you're really solving two problems in one. Right. Right. Okay. And and that would be enough to, uh, to, to fill the the need that's, that's out there. Yeah. Yeah. And and close the gap, close the gap and also improve the results. We're having a shortage of Moros. We're having a shortage of general studies teachers. We're not having a shortage of Rebellion. So this mm-hmm. can help. Right. Okay. Okay. Now in girls' schools, uh, you know, given everything that we've said until now, how do you how do you see all this coming to coming to play and 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 resolving or um, help mitigate this shortage that we're facing? With qualified so teachers, the, especially given that girls' schools, the way it's structured, is that there's so many different periods. Mm-hmm. You know, once they get to the older grades, it's 15 different periods over yeah, the exactly. week or 20 periods, and you need a different teacher for each of them. It just, it's just, it's just not enough. There's not enough. There's not enough people. There's not enough bodies in the world to fill the need that that we have. Right. Well, we do get teachers. We get you know sem- seminary teachers and all that, and that's a resource that the boys' schools don't have. But is it sustainable? Is it something that is it a bus stop job? Most right. teachers, for, for most people, it's, oh, I'm teaching. Oh, okay, so what are you going for? I'm going for psychology. I'm going for this. I'm going for that. It's not considered a real profession. If we are able to make teaching more sustainable and the easiest place, I think, as a mother, I, I guess I'm a little biased, the easiest place to start is by giving, let's say, paid maternity because it doesn't cost so much for the school. But when a mother who's having a new baby doesn't have to be stressed that she's losing her paycheck, you're going to keep that teacher a lot easier than, you know, ha- having a teacher who has to go into her emergency fund every time she has a kid. Right. I can tell you from personal experience. Sure. 
Okay. Very good. Yeah. Okay. So uh, just to close this off over here, how realistic is it for, for us, for parents, for, for teachers all, all across the country, all across the world? How realistic is it to assume that things will change for the better in the near future? Or is it just going to be the same old, same old, like, okay, we have to improve, we have to improve. Yeah, yeah. But right now we got to put out the next fire. Well, here's the thing. You could be part of it. I send out an email every week. Um, it's a collaboration for principals. I have a collaboration for curriculum coordinators, for teachers. for, And this goes all over the country, actually goes beyond only this country. And I give solutions. I take questions. Um, I speak about things that no one else is talking about. And we really, this is how I, I reach everyone. And this reaches principals and the principals get in touch with me and I can give them all this incredible information that I have for their school. Literally, here's the package. Let's put it into place in your school. And the schools that I've done so far have done incredibly and it's only growing. So that email list, that's that's a thing to do. And the way to get on that email list is to email institution to inspiration at gmail.com. And that T at T O, it's not it's not the number two, it's institution T O inspiration at gmail.com. Yeah, and just let, let me know you want to join the email list. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. This has been very, very insightful. And uh, of course, like, like, you, like you said, this is something that takes a lot of work. It's changed, cha- changing the whole culture, the whole structure, the whole uh, way school operates, the whole mindset of the way schools are operating. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but ultimately, it's the chinuch for our children, and it's the only way things are going to improve is if, if we, uh, we do the hard work that it takes exactly. to get there. Exactly. Raising children is not easy. <laughs> Very Not good. And that's and, and that's where we're, that's what we have to put our effort into. The most rewarding. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Okay. Thank you very much, everyone. Please sign up for Mrs. Tannenbaum's emails, inspiration to institution, institution inspiration. to inspiration at gmail.com. And we thank you very much, Mrs. Tannenbaum, for coming on the show and wish you a lot, lots of success in working with many, many schools so that they improve and, and become better places for teachers to teach and for students to learn. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Definitely. And definitely send, shoot me that email. I'd love to hear what, you know, what listeners think of this podcast and where, what kind of case this opens up for you. Thank you. You've been listening to Chinuch 2.0, a show exploring the changes happening to how we do Chinuch. Chinuch 2.0 is hosted and produced by me, Aaron Parks. You can subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts or on our website, chinuchshow.com. For suggestions, comments, or guests' ideas, please visit chinuchshow.com. Thanks for listening.